You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live, with your hosts, Eric Provoznik, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. Hi, this is Yasma McGee, the owner of XYZ Promotions, a print promo and apparel specialist, and you're listening to All Over the Place, where the fun sanity never ends. Hello and welcome back to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. I am your host, Eric Provozik, and we got the whole gang tonight. And then some, a very special guest as well. So, Jim Culver, how are you? I am excellent, sir. How about yourself? Fantastic, as always. And Marty right. Zamora. Hello, Marty. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Christine Leninger, hello. Well, there hello. she is. All right. And joining us tonight, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take in Entertainment. Coming back to the show, another two-timer, second time to the show. Christian Toto, welcome, my friend. As Benny Hill would do. (laughs) (laughs) Benny Hill. Much love. 121 birthday. Um, So tonight, folks, we are going to be wrapping up the summer in movies, 2023. Uh, A summer that, you know... uh, Obviously, the Barbenheimer phenomenon uh, overtook things quite a bit uh, monetarily. And another movie uh, took took things by storm, The Sound of Freedom, which I, this made money despite anybody expecting it to do anything. A movie that was given up for, for you know, to be put on the shelf by, by the major studios and went on to make it. What, what, what have we got on that one? It was $183 million so far. And that's domestic only. And you, you compare that with a movie like uh, Fast X, made 145 million domestically and 704 million global. Sound of Freedom and Christian, correct me if I'm wrong on this one. No more than maybe five to ten million dollars so far, foreign, just because it, it didn't get released there. Yeah, it just they've been rolling it out in Latin America and a few other countries, and it seems like numbers wise, it's doing well as far as ranking i know there was i got some press releases about that but it's not a lot of money money as of yet so even if it's ranking high in the charts it's not bringing in big big cash overseas but 180 plus million stateside it's a staggering amount if you wanted to bet someone and say listen i bet you sound of freedom is going to make more money than the new indiana jones movie and fast x and the flash you would no one would take that bet it'd be too outrageous and here we are and that's on like a $15 million budget. So the, the profitability margin is unbelievable on that. Off the charts. Compared to even some of the, the big summer hits. Yeah, and they crowdfunded some of the marketing behind that. So even even the marketing costs uh, didn't, didn't set them back anything. So it, it's a staggering success. And by the way, that's Angel Studios. They are known for The Chosen, Dry Bar Comedy. This was their second film. And wow, what, a, what, a, wow. what an intro into the, uh, into the Hollywood game. Now, who's the studio behind uh, the the new movie, uh, or new-ish movie, the end of summer release with uh, Dennis Quaid, The Hill? Is that also Angel Studios, or is that that was another? It's not Angel. I don't know who the studio is behind that. That really just kind of limped into theaters and didn't get a lot of attention. Unfortunately, uh, granted, I am biased towards baseball movies, but Dennis Quaid's two for two, The Rookie, and and now The Hill, digging him a lot in in, in those ones. And you know, and how do we define hit? anymore because i mean obviously barbie billions upon billions of dollars oppenheimer did well especially for a movie that's three hours in length mm-hmm. but you know look at elemental 154 that's that's a pixar movie 
Pixar movies are usually making what 200, I mean, 200 minimum, 300, 400. How do we define hit as we continue to, uh, you know, work past all, all of the, uh, uh, the COVID related drop in business? It is a funny, uh, it is a fuzzier word at this point because of the, the bloated budgets have just been off, off the charts. And part of that is COVID. I think the Mission Impossible sequel, maybe even Indiana Jones had to throw in some money to mitigate COVID costs, things like that. So that didn't help the budget at all. But yeah, you know, a lot of these films just cost too much money. And uh, we're seeing that more and more these days. And you would think that they, Hollywood would say, gosh, those horror movies, they don't cost a nickel. They don't need a lot of promotion and they're almost always profitable. Let's do a lot more of them, but you know, we don't see as much of that, but yeah, it, it's an interesting time. I, you know, it's funny. I just watched a, uh, I have a friend who's a filmmaker and he made a movie for just uh, to say a shoestring can barely describe how little this cost. And it was a beautiful film and it was wonderfully shot. And I just, I, I often think that these studios should hire indie filmmakers and say, listen, Dan, Mary, whoever you are, can you tell us how to cut these costs? How do we trim the budget? How do we shoot with less? I mean, I just think they need to cut their costs. They're just, the budgets are astronomical and they're losing money. Speaking of which, Disney of course, did well with Little Mermaid, almost 300 million domestically. But Indiana Jones, God knows how much that lost. The, the mm -hmm. Star Wars movies, they've stopped making them for the, for the foreseeable future anyway. And, but they're doing well in the streamers. But even the streamers are losing money with people dropping off. So, I mean, in, in, in your in in your estimation, are, when do studios figure this out? How, how do they pl plug the leak? Besides what you said with getting bringing the indies, I think they have to finish. They have to settle the strikes first. Yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, I know that, that's another thing too. I want to get to later. Yeah, it's we're we're in this weird time right now. It's it's an interesting flux. There are a lot of problems behind the scenes. Uh, even the big, big streamers are losing money, big, big money as well. I don't know how it's all going to shake out. I mean, I think it's, it is intertwined with these strikes. I don't think you can separate the two. Uh, but I, I think we need more transparency. And I think Hollywood is really at, at, a, uh, at a point where they have to realize we need to change course here. I mean, if streaming is the future, but we can't make money from it. And, you know, for every Barbenheimer, there are too many movies that are just failing and losing studios of fortune. They, they've got to refigure what the what the model is. I, I mean, I, it's just it's a staggering problem, and uh, I hate to be someone in, in you know behind the scenes in Hollywood right now because I think I think they're struggling. I think they've alienated large uh, swaths of the audience. Uh, I think the quality has gone down, uh, especially the summer movies. We'll talk about it. A lot of a lot of clunkers out there, but yeah, there's <clears throat> significant change afoot, and a lot of it is technologically based, and we'll have to see what happens, but. Uh, you know, it's what I think is interesting alone is that the strikes are still going on. There's no end in sight. Uh, the writer strike's been going on since May. And uh, does, is anyone optimistic? Does anyone think we're going to have it solved in the next two or three weeks? We could be heading into 2024. And then I realize a, uh, a Sony executive recently said that you're going to see a lot of blank theaters or, you know, gaps in the movie uh, release schedule if, if things aren't settled soon. So there's that. Well, they've already pushed back Dune. It was said to come out later this year, the, the part two. That's getting pushed out to next year. Other movies are getting pushed out to next year. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I, I, we're, we're talking about summer, uh, mainly with this show, but also looking ahead a little bit, we're, we're in September as we're recording this. This is typically the when the Oscar season starts. 
And you take the fact that the, the, the award shows aren't doing as well anymore ratings wise. And as they flood the market or they flood the voting process and they change the rules for the voting process, no one's caring about watching these shows. But this this is Oscar season. And of course, the only movie that I can think of that I really want to see is the new Scorsese. And, and, and how do you think, obviously, the uh, well, actually, how do you think with, with Oscar season and it's the lack of popularity now, how that's affecting movies getting getting rolled out? Well, the there's a couple of strikes going on. Yeah, the strikes are going to mean that a lot of the A-list actors can't even talk and or promote their movies, which is going to be a problem. But last year, there were a lot of Oscar bait movies that came out that just absolutely died at the box office. Even Steven Spielberg's movie, The Fablemans, didn't make any money. She said made no money. Bones and all, dead in the water. Till absolute travesty at the box office. So I think you might see more of the same. It, the box office came back this year, but it's different. And, you know, you take away the Barbie, Barbenheimer phenomena and you got a bad year. So I, I think they were lucky to get those two movies back to back. But I just think I think they're going to really struggle with how to release these adult minded films. And it may just be in a couple of years. We just they just go straight to VOD. And then that's the way they make their money. I don't know. But it's I look at the landscape and some of the titles are not coming to mind, but it's not a lot of mass appeal storytelling. It's a lot of niche. It's a lot of Oscar bait. It's a lot of, uh, you know, specialty titles. And it's not the kind of thing that's going to, you know, ring the cash registers. It's, it's going to be another tough season. And uh, no, for, uh, so Christian, Christine, Jim, you, you all have teen or young, you know, or tweeners teen. Uh, and Marty, you've got a grand, a couple of grandkids who are in that teen market. Were they seeing movies? The whole classroom. Was there any desire for them to go out there and, and see a bunch of movies like, like in the years past? I think the only the only movie that, that my kid was really excited about was uh, uh, Across the Spider-Verse. He, he's, he's big into Spider-Man. Um, he, he, he loved that movie. We all did. Um, it was something unique and creative. But, I mean, I think Spider-Man is a character uh, that really endures – uh, I mean, Marvel and DC both had superhero movies out in the summer, and they and they bombed. Uh, and but but Spider-Man for some reason is is seems to be one of those characters that always seems to connect. And it helped that they made it something really creative and unique compared to everything else that was coming out. Um, but that was the only really you know, and again, this anecdotal, but that, that was really the only one that, that really connected in our family. We also saw, you know, some other movies like, like the Haunted Mansion remake, which was, which was decent actually. Uh, and of course, Guardians of the Galaxy three was really good, but that was um, that, I think that was more, I think older folks like that a little more, more people more my age that rather than kids. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think across the Spider-Verse was really the big one and it was, it was a big hit. It made a lot of money. So I think that, that one really connected with younger generations. Maybe this is karma, but I have to beg my kids to watch movies. They have no interest in going to the theater. And my, my oldest son likes horror and comedy. And I told him, you know, we have to watch real movies sometimes soon. He's like, oh, no, I watch my horror and comedy. They're real. I said, yes, they are real, but we need to watch Dead Poets Society and Shawshank. And he's like, no, I don't want to see it. Yeah. I, you know, it's wildly anecdotal, but I, I think today's teenagers just want to do social media and YouTube and things like that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are many, many examples, uh, you know, exceptions to this, but I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't sense an enthusiasm for movie going and the young kids around my, my boys yeah. and their friends. Yeah. I think for kids, movies are 
just kind of another form of content that's out there these days. Mm-hmm. There's video games, there's streaming, there's TV, uh, there's, you know, all kinds of anime, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And you know, movies aren't, aren't as unique in art form as they used to be. So they have to compete with all these other types of content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's things that kind of get through into the zeitgeist for kids, but it's not like before where we would just go see a new movie every weekend as kids. And, and, you know, that was part of our cultural you know, upbringing as we grew up. It's just a very different uh, situation nowadays. Yeah. Actually was surprised this summer um, because my boys went to go see the Barbie movie with their friends, not boys and girls, but groups of guys were going to see the Barbie movie together and they enjoyed it. (laughs) Because the girls were in the theater. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps, but (laughs) Yeah, I just about that, and I can't really mm-hmm. comment too much on it because I haven't seen it myself. Like, I'm not really, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little indifferent to seeing the movie myself. But yeah, it was a it was a thing, and they kind of got swept up in the putting on pink and going to see the Barbie movie together. A lot of girls there. You hit it on the head. Same <laughs> reason that I went to go see Bon Jovi. A lot of girls there. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan, but there's a lot of girls there. So there you go. Perhaps that's your story. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest lessons of the summer is that it helps to make a movie an event. And I think that Barbie and Oppenheimer did a spectacular job. Both their 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 marketing teams to make it something special. You had to be there. You had to be there with your friends. You know, it wasn't just a movie. It was something unique. And not, you couldn't, you didn't, we didn't wait for VOD. You, you had to see it in theaters. And uh, boy, the Barbie marketers, they, they should have a special Oscar for how they promoted that film. It was just genius. And on that note, Marty, you are the only one in this group who has not seen a movie in a theater this year, whether it's time constraints or, you know, being able to wait for, uh, you know, the streaming market or whatever. Now it's like, what, what, what do you uh, attribute oh, yeah. to? Uh, what's the biggest reason why you're just not going well, to going going to see a movie now? Aside from the fact that you we don't live in the same city anymore, and I'm I'm saying, hey, come on, let's go see this this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that would help for sure. Uh, I enjoy the experience. I, I really love it. The popcorn, the the crappy candy that's fourteen bucks, and the big soda, <laughs> and just the event of it. I I love it. I always have. But over the years. Um, you know, life is, I don't know, gets in the way. Weekends are filled up with uh, family events or vacation or just, there's always seems to be something else going on. And uh, uh, I, I love movies, but I don't know. And I was wondering after we talked, Eric, uh, I started thinking about it. Is is Gen X it? Are we it after this? Is the theater experience going to die? I mean, I don't, I, I have a, a, a classroom full of high school boys and they are vaguely interested in movies um, in the theater. They, they, they often, they often talk about, you know, uh, Netflix and, and Disney and so on. Cause we watch them in the classroom on Friday, but uh, I, they didn't come back from the summer break talking about even Barbie, they, they brought it up briefly, but it wasn't even a big deal to them. Um, and uh, <laughs> I want to circle back to use a term from Big Red. Uh, 
you mentioned uh, The Little Mermaid, and it did well. Um, you say three hundred million or something? I don't remember. Yeah, a little under three hundred million. Yeah, they're just domestically. I talked to. Uh, we have kids down to you know seven, eight years old in my school, and I talked to the other teachers and the other specialists, and almost all of them said they hated the movie. All the kids didn't like it. Hmm. They they couldn't stand it. So I guess maybe in that age group, it just never gets passed around that it's terrible. I don't know. But none of them said that they got good reports from the kids about that movie. Obviously, they're all racist. That's, that's the only explanation. <laughs> well, clearly. But. <laughs> well, let, let's go back to Indiana Jones, uh, the, the not, not Dial of Destiny, but uh, and of course, I uh, the, the previous one, Fighting the, the Communists. And I can't. I don't know one person aside from my nephew who likes that movie. Yet that movie made what four or five hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's and you you go to your. Uh, I'm going to circle back, Marty, with a, with a bon, jo uh, bon Jovi citing. You know, fifty million Bon Jovi fans can't be wrong, which was citing. You know, fifty million Elvis fans can't be wrong. So it's right. masses for asses. Who knows? Sometimes it, it sometimes it works. Is something on Barbie? It, it'll trudge along no, no matter what the reviews are. Some things are just review proof. A potential well, new Rocky Horror. <laughs> the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, everyone saw it and everyone disliked it. And I think it poisoned the well for the new film. So that was, uh, it doesn't always, it's not always the case, but often the case that the last sequel stunk. I mean, and then, then, you know, I think a lot of, I mentioned event filmmaking before, but I think also you have to have an absolutely killer trailer at this point. If you can rack up a great trailer that makes everyone eager to see it, I think you're done, especially with a movie like Indiana Jones. That trailer should have knocked our socks off. And we watched it. We shrugged our shoulders and said the CGI looks pretty fake. And Harrison looks older. It's, you know, he's in his late 70s at the time. It just didn't wow us. And if you get a trailer that wows people, then then the conversation really kind of kicks in at least better than it, than it could. And unlike Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I didn't see in theaters, I just only... It's Indiana Jones for me that ended when, you know, Indy and his dad and Salah and, and Marcus mm -hmm. rode up in the sunset at the uh, at the end of Last Crusade. But I, I did go see Dial of Destiny. It was a matinee. I'm like, okay, I'll see it. Cl closure, all that stuff. It wasn't that bad, but you shouldn't walk out of an Indiana Jones movie saying, eh. Yeah. That was my reaction, too. It was fine. I would, I would have no interest in seeing it again. Right. The likelihood of staying too long is always the more likely. Yeah. It's rare that you get out early, get out ahead of the game. It's rare that you make one too few. It's more common that you make too, too many. Yeah. Uh, speaking of trailers, uh, Killers of the Flower Field. Did, have you guys seen the first main trailer? I'm assuming you have. Oh, yeah. Scorsese. So, I mean, I, I'm there no matter what. So, uh, you were mentioning it has to, you know, have some some punch, you know, like Barbie really did it well. Mm. It was interesting. Um, if we saw the same one, there wasn't a lot of dialogue, um, some voiceover, and a lot of just cinematic and music. Is is that the one? That, is that the main one? Well, what's interesting about that is I think sometimes that can be really helpful because I think a lot of trailers give away too much, and also it is meant to be a tease. The Barbie trailers, you watch it, there was two or three of them. I didn't know what the movie was about. I had no clue. 
It looked fun. It looked interesting. It had lively music. It had likable, you know, attractive actors. I hadn't, I mean, you had to see it just to figure out what the story was. And I think that was genius. So with the, uh, the Scorsese trailer, if they're, if they're, you know, keeping the dialogue to a minimum, I have no problem with that. It's genius. And also it's Scorsese and DiCaprio. That's, you've got a built in audience there. That's a two, that's a twofer. And I, very quickly, I, I'm glad that uh, Marty, <laughs> like we're all buddies, uh, <laughs> is using Jesse Plemons as much as he is. I love him. I, I, I've loved Jesse Plemons since you know Friday Night Lights. And just seeing th- how good of a dramatic actor he is. So I'm glad that Scorsese, is obviously DiCaprio and, and, and uh, De Niro. But mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons is flying in under the radar. I like that. Do you see that as, as a good stepping stone for you? Know, impossibly get getting bigger roles or more starring roles or is he destined to be a supporting actor i mean he he's everywhere he's in every third movie and by the way if you want to see him be funny check out game night with i was gonna say game night he was was about to say that i mean a very small role he steals every scene this guy's got a lot of talent and you know if he has a a character actor career well then god bless him he's going to be around for the next 50 years he's going to work constantly he's going to make great performances so you know he's not a traditionally handsome guy, but there's nothing wrong with the way he looks. But I, I think his career is great as is. I mean, he does a lot of interesting things. I mean, Breaking Bad, uh, Fargo, he was excellent in. So I, I just love seeing him. He's just an actor who makes everything better. And uh, I, I mean, I almost think you'd wish ill on an actor like him to say he should be a bigger star because then you're, you know, you got to make the money. You got to make sure your box office is up, up to snuff and the, the mediocre scripts come your way. I think as a character actor, the world's his oyster. Well, I'm not going to name any names, but I think there's a lot of uh, leading men right now that are really character actors at heart, but are kind of cursed to be too good looking to, to be character actors mm-hmm. and, and are kind of being pushed into, into the more bland leading men parts. Um, and I think I, I'll, I'll give one example. Chris Pine. I was say, you you um, called me out on the last show. Say <laughs> it. Just say it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'll give one example. Chris Pine, who I think can be kind of bland in a lot of his leading roles, but uh, you know, you, you know, there, I've seen him in some supporting stuff, um, and he can be, you know, he gets the right role. He can be really, really good as, as kind of a wacky, off, you know, off the hill character, but he rarely gets a chance to do that uh, mm-hmm. because he, you know, he looks like a model, so they're going to keep pushing him into, into the lead roles. Uh, where he just kind of blandly sits around and saves the day and, or, you know, let's, let's the girl save the day or whatever. But, uh, you know, he doesn't really get the chance to show up his acting chops a lot, but when he gets the chance, uh, there's a filmmaker I'm blanking on his name. He, he did, he did smoke and aces and a bunch of other movies. Uh, Joe Carnahan. Yeah. Joe Carnahan. Thank you. He almost always casts Chris Pine in a supporting role in his movies. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's always really good in those, but he really gets the chance to, to, play those kind of characters but he does it really well but he'll rarely get the chance because he just doesn't fit the profile by by hollywood standards that's one thing i've liked about some of the actors in the scene today i think paul rudd and will ferrell come to mind they're big big stars and they're big talented but they'll right. take smaller roles now and then and and just excel at it and and kind of swallow their ego and say yeah i'm in it for a couple of minutes i'll i'll just do another movie you know and i think that's i think that speaks well of them it's actually good for their careers but I like that. I mean, it, it's to me, it's them gravitating towards roles that are interesting as opposed to being, I need to be the star. I've got to be above the title, that kind of a thing. I just recently rewatched Wedding Crashers and <laughs> lo- lo- love Feralist Chaz. Just perfect. He's, he's in, he's out. 
bam, funnier than hell. It's aged beautifully that way. Now, put, putting a bow on on uh, summer 2023, I'm, Marty, I'm going to have to pull you out on this and just because, well, no, I, I will, I'll, I'll keep you in, but I want to go uh, round table on this. What's the one movie that you wish would have done better, that should have succeeded more than it did? So, uh, Christian, you're our guest. I'm going to start with you. Oh, my. Uh, in another universe, I'd say Sound of Freedom, but that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's no movie that jumps out at me is that I, I loved and wished it did better, honestly. I mean, I, I I feel like the older I get, the summer movies are the it's a season I love, and the kid in me always kind of revs up again when the, the season starts. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of one. I mean, The Flash disappointed me. Uh, I, I thought Barbie was underwhelming. And, and, by the way, I want to make a confession here, and I should have said it earlier. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. I, when they screened it, they screened Oppenheimer versus Barbie. But I knew as a as a right leaning critic that Barbie was just a field a landmine of culture war issues. So I had to choose that, and I just never caught up with it. And the three hour time is intimidating to me. And I I work around the clock, and I've got kids and everything. So that, that's bad on me. And, and you know, so but yeah, I'm trying to think. I'll it, actually if someone else could jump in, I'm gonna I'm gonna just. Think about that question. Yeah, you're you're going to ponder. Okay. We're, yeah. Let's do a Cartman freeze on you while, while you <laughs> ponder. And and me, we want to go to me next on this one? I, I'm going to go last. I, uh, I'm the host. I'll wait to get the cop. So, Jim, yeah. we're, we're going to go your direction, Mr. M- Mr. Movie Buff. All right. I'm going to go with um, – I'm, I'm almost positive this came out in the summer, but it might have been a little bit before. Uh, but a, um, a kind of a faith-based horror movie called uh, Nefarious. Hmm. Um, okay. Really interesting movie, but basically about a, 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 a I'm not going to give away too much, but it's about a, a person who who may or may not be demon possessed, um, being interviewed, and it's it's really really well done for a, for a, a very small budget movie, um, and uh, uh, Sean Patrick Flannery from uh, uh, what is it? Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints. Thank you. Hmm. Um, it uh, play, plays that character. It's it's best performance he's ever given and he's been in a lot of good movies but um but uh, it kind of it kind of flew under the radar and i really wish it had done sound of freedom numbers because it's a it's a really interesting movie uh and it is kind of i've i've seen you know some rumblings about it online by people that were that were kind of interested in the in the uh, themes it pushed uh but it really never really got hit takeoff velocity at the vox office so uh that would probably be my pick well, can I jump in? I've actually got two that came to mind. Oh, all right. Hey, yes, one, you know, it might have been late spring. It was called Champions with Woody Harrelson. It was yes, a, I really liked that movie. It was a very good movie. It was movie. very formulaic. He's, he plays a coach who gets in trouble with the law. And to escape jail, he has to do some community service, helping these differently abled uh, young men and women to form a basketball team. And, you know, Woody Harrelson's a very good actor, very versatile and it's just a sweet movie. It's got a bit of a rough edge here and there, too. I like that. But also, I don't mention documentary. It, it was a little too long, and it was a little too faith-based, and I'll explain in a minute. It's called The Essential Church, but it's a documentary about how the all the COVID shutdowns and the lockdowns, how they impacted churches across the country hmm. and the few pastors who fought back. And it really is powerful. And I think they leaned too much into the faith element and that, listen, you can make that choice. It's fine. But I think it has such a broader, even secular appeal 
based on what happened over the last couple of years that I think it missed an, an audience there. So, but it's a very good film and it's a very powerful film and it brings up a lot of important information. So I'll, I'll throw two in there. And, and what was the name of that one? I'm going to write The Essential down. Church. And I think they did a terrible job of marketing it. I think they reached out to very few influencers in the space. I mean, I, I learned about it. I think I, I just like saw it by chance. I'm thinking, you know, my audience would love that movie. Well, I mean, not that I'm the only guy, but I'm saying I think a lot of these films, especially the niche films, they really need to be smart about who their audience is and reach out to people maybe beyond the generic critics or generic journalists. And jumping back to Jim with yours, uh, with Nefarious, I got a, a shout out to our, our old buddy over at Radio Free Fredonia, Stelio Savante, mm -hmm. was one of the actors in uh, in Nefarious. So. Right. right on. And Christine? You, you and I saw quite a few movies this summer, more than I uh, expected to see this past summer. But uh, what, what's your pick for one that you, you wish would have done a little bit better at the box office? You know, I'm, I don't. it's not so much that I wish that it would have done better at the box office. I just wish this movie was better. Like uh, Christian said, The Flash was a big disappointment. Um, yeah. That lead actor was annoying as all get out. <laughs> and I just... Um, yeah, I'm just not a Ezra Miller fan. I think that's what his name is. But um, yeah, uh, and this is coming from mom of three kids. My boys all enjoyed the TV show, the you know the one that was on the streaming channels, and they're all huge fans. And to see it just be not a great movie just was very um, disappointing. Is a good and a waste of Michael Keaton, by the way, who was good in it but didn't really have much to do of consequence. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was nice to see Michael Keaton back on the big screen in that way. But it just, yeah, it was not a good movie. I didn't like it. I think I'm one of the few people, certainly, I think the only person in this group, I liked it because I, I've got no backdrop or backstory or baggage with the TV show. I've never seen it, uh, the, the CW show, and so. And for me, having Mike, I guess having Michael Keaton there was enough because he's my favorite Batman. It was nice to see the twist on that. But you're right, Christian, not enough interesting stuff to do. But it's Michael Keaton on the big screen. And I I guess I don't, it doesn't take a lot for me to be entertained, apparently. And, and, I, and I must admit, too, uh, I'm sick of multiverses. Can, can oh. we move? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is a, a kind of overplayed yeah. storyline. I mean, yes, we did enjoy the Spider Man movie. It was gr good, but yeah, really, another multiverse movie. Yeah, it wore out its welcome in record time. But I, I'm an old school X Men guy who, when Jean, when Jean Grey slash Phoenix died, and all of a sudden they bring her back five years, and it's all this retro crisis, DC crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a comic book reader from the 1970s and 80s. That's me. Once you do it, that's it. You're dead. Finished. No multiverse to save you. Well, it's I, one of 10,000 gripes I have with Disney right now is no state, <laughs> no stakes in any of their movies. Nobody dies. Nobody, nobody suffers any serious consequences. Every villain is becomes a good guy after like two movies. And the multiverse, which should have been you know, an endless well of creativity just became another excuse for them to remove consequences and and and, and stakes from their movies. Can I complain again about the rise? Was it the rise of Skywalker? I've only seen it once. I can't watch it again. When they <laughs> killed when they killed up Chewbacca, and he was back about ten minutes later. I'm like, oh my god, did they really just do that? What what an awful movie! What an awful decision. 
Wait, did they kill Chewbacca? Briefly. <laughs> See, I guess shows how much I paid attention. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he they did kill him in the first draft of the script and then changed it because they said, no, we can't, we can't possibly have anybody actually die because then the fans would, would, would riot and that can't, can't take risks. So we just have to bring everybody back. So. All right, well, and Mar- Marty, since you haven't seen a movie this year, I'm, I'm, I'm going to flip, I'm going to twist the, the, the question that's gone to uh, everyone else. Um, and what movie, it, all, all of the extraneous factors that you mentioned, if those didn't play a factor, what, what's the one that you, you wish you, you would have seen on the big screen? Sound of Freedom, without a doubt. And uh, actually, I do have a take on all this. Even though I don't have a frame of reference, believe it or not, I can make some crap up on the fly. <laughs> no, I do have I'm an trademark here on all over the place, everyone. That's what we do. Yeah. So uh, I, I have an observation, um, and it's uh, I'm, trust me, I'm not going to go all Bilderbergs on you. Not going to do that. But uh, I wish it would have done better because it did very well. And I don't know if any of you have seen the countless TikToks of people showing their phone with all the seats sold and walking into the theater and there's two or three people sitting there and the movie's already running time and time and time again. I saw these, these were hitting my feed. I, I watch them in the form of kind of YouTube shorts, but it's a TikTok. It's yeah. one of the last, oddly enough, one of the last bastions of free press. You can put anything you want on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, countless people doing this and I'm, I, it, at the same time, I'm thinking, well, how, then how, that backfired. If you're trying to do something nefarious there, you just sold more tickets. But mm-hmm. it was an interesting. I don't know if any of you guys saw it. I, the guy's like, look, I just bought my two tickets, these two seats. There's only two others available. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he flips the camera around, and there's four or five people in the theater. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know what's going on. This is weird. And it was, I saw at least 20 different people do this. Now, maybe it just became a trend where you go in before the movie starts and you do a thing, but I found it interesting. <laughs> that, yeah, there were... There were a backfirish way to silence a movie. Yeah. You're going to make it sell more tickets and not go? What's, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, there what were a lot of conspiracy more? theories about, oh, the, you know, Christian groups are just buying up buying up uh, blocks of tickets for this to make it look like they're it's making more money than it is. And it's and Damn my response is, so they're selling, so they're buying, they're, they're selling more tickets by selling more tickets. <laughs> I, I'm not seeing the, the, the problem there, but, uh, but whatever, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't see how that really would ha- have an aggregate effect. I mean, yeah. unless, unless they were spending a hundred million dollars on empty seats, I, you yeah. know, in which case I'm sure the filmmakers appreciate that, but and also I mean, Christian groups could do that with every you know faith friendly film, and they don't. So exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Well, I, I can vouch for the fact that when I it took us, we had to sit in the front row, mm-hmm. which I haven't done since seeing seeing Goodfellas opening weekend. Mm-hmm. The last two seats in the theater back in '90, Sound of Freedom. We had to sit in the front row. It was it was Independence Day. We thought that okay, let's just after mass, we said Let, let's go see the movie and. It was full, and the the movie was sold out for the rest of the day. Hmm. So a lot I mean, of patriots out there, <laughs> a lot a lot of people who love freedom. But uh, isn't, that, isn't that weird that a movie like that is the patriotic? It's a patriotic movie somehow. It's a conservative movie somehow. 
I don't you know, that was one of my biggest pet peeves of the whole summer. It was not a conservative movie. It was not a political movie. And it wasn't a faith-based movie, but it became all the above. That's how it yeah, was framed like, and branded. It's amazing. Yeah, you had liberals screaming about how uh, biased it was. And I'm like, what? What? I don't understand what, why you have any skin in this negative game. Like, what? how did this become the conservative movie that it was? That's how tribalized the culture is, that they they took a movie that didn't have those elements, they pretended it had those elements, and then you had to hate it. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And Christian, I, I want to get into that. And Marty, thanks for helping. Uh, accidental transition. Nice to done, my friend. <laughs> the attacks that you got on for Barbie, just for stating a, a contrarian opinion. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Facts, reason, logic. Okay. You, you weren't, your, your review was not scathingly hateful. It just pointed out some of the things that were in the movie. And I mean, people, people were, were for no good reason. And I mean, sure, it brings traffic to your site, but you know, as, as someone who, who's built, you know, building a podcast or build, building a website, I, I mean, how, how good or bad was it for, for your site? It was pretty good for my side. I, I won't complain about that. But it was odd because, you know, I posted my review early-ish on Twitter. And I had like four days of just constant, oh, I can't wait to see it now. Oh, I'm going to really buy my ticket or I'm buying two tickets. And like a lot of those silly, silly responses. But also, they hadn't seen it yet because it wasn't out yet. I got a sneak peek at it. So I could have been right. I could have been wrong. People were predisposed to like that movie. And, you know, I get that to a certain degree. But there are certain movies that I... I want to geek out over and say, I can't, I hope Flash is great. I'm so psyched to see it. But at the end of the day, you, you got to see the movie and you got to watch the movie and you got to assess it. And, you know, and I, I would say things like, well, you know, the screenplay mentioned the patriarchy 10 times. I'm like, that's bad writing. And the movie was very clunky in its messaging. And you could be okay with that. And you could say, I didn't mind that, but it's not really up for debate. I mean, that's a clunky way to, to write a screenplay to kind of be so heavy handed in the methodology. But that's what it is. And you could say it didn't bother me. That's fine. So it was it was a very weird discussion. But it was it almost became like a left-right thing where you were on Team Barbie or you weren't. And I liked the movie in the beginning. And then I thought it got less and less effective. So God forbid we agree to disagree on anything. These days. Like it's the tribalization. It's the balkanization. It's whatever it is. And yeah. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't get a death threat and I did get a death threat when I said that Bob's Burgers had jumped the shark. So I'm happy that, I, you know, I think what? things are getting better. And we're, and we're happy you're still standing that, that people are making threats. Wow. I love Bob's Burgers, but the show is, it's done. It's over. I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> is it still being produced? Oh, yeah. It should be done. It should be done. And, and um, I almost forgot to say which one I wish would have done better. And, and, to me, it's not so much that it didn't do better, but I, releasing the last voyage of the Demeter or Demeter, releasing that when they did. That's, and I, I love your review, and it was dead on. It's aliens on, on a tall ship yeah. in the late 1800s. And it just takes this very small piece of Bram Stoker, Stoker's Dracula and makes a great tension filled movie. And my only wish for that movie would have been release it in October hmm. when I think a vampire film would have done better. I don't disagree with that, but I just thought it was good enough as is. And it came out in a in a less crowded time of the summer. So it's – listen, people didn't like it. You and I are the exceptions. I I mean, I just look at the reviews. I looked at the critical the, – the audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. 
But I, I thought it was very smart. I thought it was clever. I thought it was a great way to kind of extend the whole Dracula story by taking just a part of a book. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm surprised that one really didn't do well. Yeah, what, what do we know? Marty, you didn't go to the theater this summer, but a lot of those titles are out now. I mean, you can watch them at home. Have you have you caught up with some, or are you still not not, uh, not motivated yet? I'm somewhere in last year, <laughs> catching up. <laughs> um, well, the one thing about it, Jen, have you caught up with Top Gun Maverick yet? I know that was the big <laughs> one from last year that you didn't see in the theater. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay, a kind of that one list. That's my uh, kind of in there, and uh, to that point. Um, I mean, it seems that we don't have any new ideas or it's really hard. So we just remake something, just ruin it and put it out. Um, if we're not going to have any writers, I mean, eventually just, just start to re-releasing some movies that were actually good. But well, be on that note, I mean, the, the, the work that I, I still do at the Majestic Theaters here in Phoenix are movie parties like Velvet Goldmine. That, that was one of the uh, soundtrack Cinema Sundays. Sold out. Hmm. Uh, Days and Confused, where I, I, I got to dress up as uh, one of the assistant football coaches. Sold out. Hmm. Uh, again, these are event movies of past movies. Those are doing well. Yeah, Fathom Events is making a killing off that. They've been yeah. re-bringing back Vacation. I think The Exorcist might be coming soon. You know, I think if the timing is right, if they do it on an anniversary, these movies are great. And, and you know, generations have not seen them in a theater. So I, I think it's a terrific idea. There are many there are many movies I've seen to death that I, I would actually go to the theater to watch them again just to experience them. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, and I'm going to be working the party. I'll be going as uh, Edward Herman's character. I'll be going as the the, the patriarch from uh, Lost Boys. <laughs> Uh, Lost Boys uh, movie party coming up in uh, October, uh, but uh, what was the other, uh, the other one that uh, was doing? Uh, oh, uh, we're we're losing time now. 40th anniversary of Eddie and the Cruisers. Hmm. We don't have much more to celebrate this one before the end of the year. Hmm. And 40th anniversary of Strange Brew this year as well. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it does not take a lot for me to see Strange Brew any time of day, theater or hmm. otherwise. But 40 years of that one. It's a jelly. <laughs> Still the weirdest Hamlet Hamlet remake I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the only Hamlet remake I've ever seen. <laughs> the, the the twisting Lion King. The... Anyway, sorry. I barely know Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> I know Strange Brew much much better than Hamlet. <laughs> Elsinore Castle. Yes, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Claude Claudius. Yes, of course, but. <laughs> So and uh, I get we we put the bow on the summer and I, aside from the Scorsese I'm gonna go go around the room to our, our film buffs and and otherwise I'll, I'll start with you on this one Jim what what, what are you looking forward to most for, uh, before the end of the year uh, probably probably Killers of the Flower Moon I would say that's that's the one I the one that uh, that intrigues me the most uh, I like you guys you guys nailed it talking about about the the Oscar movies most of them are. Are you know Oscar bait made for the critics and and really are, don't have a lot of appeal outside of that, um, and yeah, I think that uh, Killers of the Flower Moon probably has the best chance of kind of crossing over into the public consciousness a little bit and getting some getting some mainstream appeal. Um, I'm I'm really hoping that that uh, Scorsese can knock that one out of the park uh, because we could really use a little more of more of his art right now. Do you think that? Um... 
I kind of got a little uh, a little sprinkling of this could go woke really easily. Um, well, but because of the American Indian portion of it, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Kind of the story of how it was when this nation was being formed through conquer. I mean, let's be honest, but it can easily turn into, you know, America. See, America is the worst. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, uh, just I my opinion. Not. My opinion. Scorsese is kind of an old school liberal in the in the Oliver Stone vein. Uh, he will he will tell movies with liberal themes, but he'll but he'll tell them in a non woke way. He, he he usually won't shove that kind of messaging down people's throats. I agree, and I have to agree. I can't I can't imagine a world where Scorsese goes woke. That would be that's a that's a bridge too far. Yeah. Well, right. we know he's never going to make an MCU movie, so there's no chance of being woken by the avatar. Let's not stir up that debate. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see him do an X-Men movie, though. That's just me. Uh, that's true. Um, can I can I share some of my looking forward to movies? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I'm, I'm, certain topics, my mind goes blank when you ask me specifically what movie underperformed. I, I don't know. There are certain things as a critic that I just my mind goes out. And I need like time to recover, but I actually thought of a couple here. One is The Creator, which is coming out fairly soon. It's a science fiction movie from the director of Rogue One. And I think, believe John David Washington, Denzel's son, is the star. The trailer looks very interesting. It looks very compelling, ambitious. That excites me. A perfect uh, trailer, called, not telling us too much. Yeah. I think it's The Holdovers with uh, Paul Giamatti. It's an Alexander Payne film, which feels like the old, good Alexander Payne yeah. films. Yeah. Very excited about that one as well. And then I'm actually dreading the Exorcist movie. I think the trailer is just so modern horror in a bad way. You know, I think the beauty of the Exorcist was they held so much back and it didn't have 24-7 effects and didn't have 24-7 shocks. I think this is going to be the opposite. And I think the buzz on it's already kind of bad. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll pull a miracle out. Marty, what about you? What, what any movies this the, later this year that you might actually get into a theater to see? The name of the movie is The Bike Riders, and that's what I, I too and look forward to seeing. And uh, along with uh, you know the uh, De Niro, and Christine, and uh, we've already talked about the boys not really caring that much, but they do see movies, and I didn't realize they'd seen Barbie. Uh, so, anything that you're looking forward to, or maybe, maybe the kids are looking forward to. Well, actually, one that we've already seen that is a fall 2023 movie that I'm hoping does at least relatively well is the new uh, Kenneth Brenna movie, um, The Haunting in Venice. Uh, saw that in a preview last Wednesday, a week ago, and I enjoyed it. I'm, I've always been a bit of a big uh, Kenneth Brenna fan, and um, I thought it was a good movie. For Yeah, I, I liked it. Right? Well, that opened this weekend, right? So I yeah, I enjoyed it too. I, I like the it's a supernatural themed Agatha Christie. I think the blending those genres are really effective. It had a pretty good weekend also, too. Oh, I did yeah. also. Hmm? Uh, I'm sorry, Jim. It did have a good weekend. Yeah, I made it. It made I think a little over 14 million, and was barely beat out by the Nun too. So going going back to the talk about you know the the right time of year for horror movies. I mean, you had two horror movies that that battled it out this weekend, and both did pretty well. Hmm. So, 
The other one I was going to mention was I did see that there's a new A24 uh, Nick Cage movie coming out. And I just love him and his quirky roles that he's been doing yeah. lately. Those are just awesome movies. But um, I think this one's called like Dream Cruisers or something. Not exactly sure what the title is, but I saw The title's it. escaping me, but uh, it looks interesting. And, and I think Nicolas Cage is getting away from his junky you know, straight to video movies and getting some more interesting parts, meteor parts. He's, he's a good actor. And I, I should have done my homework. There's uh, I saw a trailer for it last week. I saw the trailer. It was Facebook throws so much up uh, in my face with things, but it's a, a it's about a formation of a bike gang. I think it's called bike riders. My bike ride. Is that coming out later this year? Or is that beginning of next year? I, thought it was maybe I think it's this year. season. So it should be next couple of months. Well, See, I didn't even remember the title of the movie, but that's the one I want to see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now we had this conversation. Yeah. And uh, speaking of titles that I'm forgetting, there's a new movie coming soon with Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. It's a bit of a Frankenstein story, literally. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten rave reviews at the early festivals. So I'm very curious about that. Uh, Poor and, Things, uh, I think it's called. That's, that sounds right. See, we help each other out here, folks, here mm -hmm. on All Over the Place, because we just pick from a, it's quite it takes a village. <laughs> well, Christian Toto, thank you so much for, for being the, the latest inductee into the, the two-time club here on All Over the Place. Always fun having you here. Folks, make sure you check out the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take in Entertainment. And Christine, Jim, Marty, all over the place, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back real soon. Take care. You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. Content contained herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk. Oh, oh, did we skip me? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs>